0: DJX Tech, Tampa based Pulse Radio, out here with an interview from the UK with Carlos Fandango. Carlos, how you doing? Hello. Yeah. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to see your face finally. Yeah. Nice yeah. to meet you too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, good to see your face at last.
1: I'm sorry. Good to see your face at. last. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely right. To, P- heard your voice. Put, a,
0: put a face behind oh, you know the voice, right? So I was going to say <laughs> yeah, the same thing, yeah. right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Carlos Fandango, uh, what's what's the reasoning with the name there?
1: Right. Well. Uh, my name's actually Carl, and um, interestingly enough, my brother and friends and people generally just call me, often, Carlos Fandango. Just one of those things. You know, how names are often shortened. If they're long names, they get shortened. If they're short names, they get lengthened. Seems to be a guy thing, generally speaking, and uh, yeah, so it's just Carlos quite a lot of the time. So I thought, well, why not make that stage name Carlos Fandango? Oh,
0: really? Right, well, awesome, man. Sounds um,
1: more exotic than I am. <laughs> I,
0: I, I think everything does, right? Uh, DJ tech is obviously not my real name, but, you know, hey, a, st- a stage presence is necessary, you know? So, um, Absolutely. You and I had this little banter going on, uh, you know, through email, and um, I kind of want to dive into this because I think that, that, you know, that a lot of indie artists, especially we'll probably want some advice on this. Like, um, you know, we were talking about like being the indie artist and trying to make it in like mainstream media, like, like what's kind of, um, something that you've done where something like that, an idea like that would actually hold some kind of promise.
1: Um, so, sorry. say again, sorry. I was was so concentrated on, on something you said a minute ago. It's all right. Start again.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I guess, you know, I'll edit. So I
1: just, just, I was, it's just something that um, I I, I was thinking about and and, uh, sort of. I must learn not to <laughs> not to drift off and into thought because something you said just just made my mind wander. But uh, so, what was the question? Sorry.
0: So, um, for the artists, like like trying to like let's say um, advertise their, themselves, you know, um, yes, with all the mainstream media, you know, the mainstream basically owns, as we know, the um, the magazines, the record labels, everything. Yep. they they have money behind them and everything, you know, to 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 push their artists through. So, with the indie artists, like like kind of like trying to um, Get somewhere near that challenge. Like, what would you recommend? Like they do. Like, like, how would you start off with, with, with getting your name out there, your brand, basically?
1: That is the million-dollar question. I mean, ultimately, independent artists. Yeah, we're not loaded with money. Well, most of us aren't loaded with money. In fact, we're struggling. Most of us. That's probably why we're doing it, and in the dream, yeah, that we're chasing. and it's not money per se that, that we, we're chasing, but it's it's just getting out there, getting our the music out there. A little bit
0: of recognition, at least, right?
1: Yeah, recognition, indeed. And, um, but actually to do it, I mean, the record companies, as you say, have the industry sewn up in all directions, and they pump money into very specific, you know, small percentage of artists that they choose uh, are the flavor of the month. But, um how do you do it? Well, I mean, the, the problem partly is because there are so many different avenues. I mean, you c- it's the irony of the whole thing is that years ago, it was probably easier in a sense to get your material out there, but it would be to a smaller audience, more localized. Now you can touch anybody in the world with your music, except everybody's on their devices of all different kinds. Everybody's got their head into their own thing and there's so many different types of media and the the problem is it's just so diverse so where do you concentrate your efforts do you concentrate it on youtube do you concentrate it on trying to get onto radios locally nationally globally you know there's so many different things do you go onto social media instagram facebook um i don't know because this is the big question that i haven't I'm not really got the time to do a lot of social media. I'm not overly savvy being nearly 50 years old. I'm not overly savvy on social media as well. So it would be great to have some sort of thing that we could tap into where some company or somebody or something is able to sort of take some of that off your hands. where they say, this is what you present us with. We'll put it out there. We'll do, we'll do some of the
0: work for you right which usually a publicist would take care of and but from what Indeed. I've seen you know um, like a, a typical weekly cost for a publicist to actually land you you know like let's say radio airtime some TV interviews maybe a couple of magazine interviews like some of these guys you know if they're if they're you know pretty higher up there if they can actually deliver on their promise they're like three thousand dollars a week. You know, and yeah. if you're talking about three thousand dollars a week, like where are you going to get this money from? So, so thinking about a publicist is, is I think, a very difficult thing unless you are really at that breaking point. You know, where you can feel it. Where, if you're playing a nightclub and people come just to like see you, then yeah. maybe hire a publicist at that point. But for somebody that's playing for an audience of like let's say 20, 30 people, then obviously that's not something that's feasible. And and I totally get what you're saying because I started off back um, the first album that I released was called the outer limits I released that back in um, like 2001 2002 something like that it was years ago it was myspace generation you know yeah. and within three months I had a record contract on the table wow it's a long story with that I ended up signing mm-hmm. I ended up losing the rights to my music for a long time and everything you know so there's a there's a really long story behind that but because we mm-hmm. you know the companies basically screwed me they took the music and they marketed it I lost the rights and that was it right but, but
1: this is this is the other problem isn't it because you know, there are so many uh, what I would call sharks out there, and people who don't have good intentions. And you think, well, yeah, I could be collaborating with somebody via slaps or whatever. Um, I just work with them in the hope that you know we can share some ideas, some work, maybe collaborate and and share share the spoils of almost you know fifty percent each of nothing. Um, but <laughs> um, but ultimately, well, this is what it comes down to, isn't it? Because the the likes of you know streaming companies they don't want to pay much at all for you know for, for for anybody for anything um so you need millions of hits before you actually start earning money so that's the other quandary is not only do you, how do you get your music out there but when you do get your music out there how do you earn money from it mm-hmm. i mean and and then who's to be trusted and who who can't be trusted i mean i go through uh, the likes of District. um i you know they were referred to to me so I, i i just took it on trust that they were good to to deal with and good to work with but i don't really know you know there's there's nobody sort of saying to me no avoid them avoid them try them
0: no, yeah, you know, I, I never heard of them. I heard I was watching a YouTube video and somebody actually had mentioned DistroKid and and you know I I, mm. I think that they were basically plugging their discount. Maybe they had something going on there. But um but that's the first time I heard of it. And when I went onto the website for the first time, as you know, DistroKid is not a fancy website at all. Mm. And you're kinda like looking at it and it's like, hmm. Do I plop down the 20 bucks here, you know, or not? <laughs> it looks kind of shady, you know, but back to the yeah. point that you were making is, is, is you're absolutely right. Especially now it's just so much harder to, you know, gain like any kind of, any kind of attraction towards, towards your music because, you know what do you do do you do traditional advertising do you do you do magazine advertising like w- which avenue do you go through like the one thing that i was telling you about is is once again unaffordable to to most um independent artists <laughs> was was you know the banner ad that i was telling you about in rolling stone magazine yeah absolutely. like the 300 by 600 or whatever it was Ten thousand dollars for one month. So let's,
1: let's just say you've saved up for a year or two or three or whatever to get ten thousand dollars together. you are putting all your eggs in that basket on the long shot that your know, music might get recognised and become popular. But you just can't afford to do that because nobody can. Nobody, nobody in their right mind, uh, you know, uh, can afford. Anybody who's doing a day job or a part-time job as well, they're not going to be able to afford to do. Take such a big commitment to something that may or probably won't but may work but then you've it's not just that because it's just that single advert for a month isn't going to do it because you need to support that with other types of forms of advertising and radio support and a video of uh, making a video i mean that's that's another thing i you yeah, know there's a site called fiverr.com f-i-v-e-r-r mm-hmm. where i've made I've got some artwork done for a future album already, and uh, but they also, there's some people that make videos on there from different places, Malaysia and India and all over the world. Um, but then, of course, you know, if English isn't the first language, it's hard to sometimes to communicate the ideas and the nuances of, of, of what you're looking for. So, And if you keep it in-house in USA for your case and, and the UK for mine, then it's going to cost a whole lot more. And then you think, well, that's just for one video. Let's say it cost me six hundred pounds to a thousand pounds for a video. It's, when's that going to pay back? Is it going to? It's never going to pay back, right? Unless I've got a big record company or production company behind me.
0: Yeah, I think you would definitely need if you if you were going to do that as a solo project. I think you would definitely have to have some kind of following already, where you knew that you know ten thousand yeah. people or twenty thousand people were going to watch and share and kind of like. Break into that because, as you mentioned, the streaming companies—they just don't—they just don't pay anything anymore. I think I th- the last average that I read for streaming on Spotify was 0.00365 cents per stream.
1: I think actually, because you, that's one of the ones in that conversation you'd mentioned. I think there was an extra zero after the point there as well. Was it? Was it? So yeah, it was 0.003. <clears throat> and you think, well, I, I presume that's a point of a cent, is it?
0: Yes, it's it's actually yeah. the the way that I was reading it was was one quarter of one penny, <laughs> basically yeah. one one third I should say right one third of one cent is what you can expect, and when I look at the account on DistroKid, when I it kind of makes sense that that that's what it would be. I didn't know that there was an I, you know an extra zero behind it like what like what you're talking about because I remember Face, not Facebook. I'm sorry, uh, YouTube. I remember they did back in the day when it was just CD baby and CD Baby was, was collecting all the royalties and everything, right? I remember that YouTube, at the time, was paying anywhere between three to five actual cents per, ah. per stream, so you could, in theory, you know, um, make a video, post it as, as an advert, and then actually still, you know, get mm. some money back from it, right? So you could support the music video just by the people who watched it, and if you went above and beyond what the music video actually cost you to make, then hey, more power to you, right? So, right. but it's it's it, it is it's just such a difficult process these days, and I'm and I'm trying to figure out the uh, the avenues here to help everybody, which is why I started this whole thing, right? Because I just wanted yeah. I want to get the word out there. I love I love indie music, you know. I hate hopping in the I I absolutely hate hopping in the car, and hearing a loop. It's that's all that it is. Every ten minutes, it's you exactly know, it's that, it's the yeah. same I mean, person on.
1: Ours in the UK, we've got um, commercial radio channels as well as the bbc uh national broadcaster channels um radio 2 will be a sort of um i guess i guess a sort of my age bracket uh, general sort of easy listening sort of thing uh, radio 1 and radio 6 i think 6 music is the more um cutting edge sort of new bands and new things so that that's possibly where the sort of thing that that yeah where you'd find potentially new artists uh, but there is so much competition out there and uh, and if you've got a commercial channel that's playing a two-hour show and they'll play the same tracks on a loop and, yeah, the same track could be heard within two hours, maybe twice, maybe three times at a push, but but it's certainly going to be hear, heard every two hours a day, at least. Um, so And it is the same tracks and it's the same kind of things. And I've noticed that the record companies will... You know, when I put on, I don't want to sound just like an old fogey or something, but
0: no, it's know, they,
1: a lot of stuff does all sound the same because because the record companies are looking for the same kind of vocal sound as Sia or or whoever it might be or Rihanna or you know, whatever whoever's flavor of the month that's the vocal style that they they want to hear. We know because in the eighties there was a certain sort of uh, indie vocal sound and there was a sort of rock vocal sound. So yeah, you know, record companies do this, but it's become. Even more sort of specific and tightened down than it ever was before. It's, it's they they've they just control everything so much that they've squeezed the life. In fact, they've squeezed the fun out of music. I mean, it, it, everything is so serious now. It's all about image, and nobody's actually having fun. I mean, that's what frustrates me. You look at the videos from the 1980s of bands, they're having fun. The music's fun. And and that's the... I think this is symptomatic of, of record industry just, just controlling too much and not trying to bring... In new artists and new things I,
0: th- I, th- I think you're absolutely right about that you know and, and I, I try to make this point on my show quite often is if you're just tuning in for the first time or whatever if you don't know what the show is about like stay on for the entire show because believe me you're going to hear something that you like you know as yeah. you know it's a variety show and I honestly think I love the show for, the, for, the, for that fact like what we were talking mm. about before is it's constantly something new you're going to hear something new it's not going to be you know on repeat you know so I kind of like that Absolutely. fact. But um, do you frequent any kind of um, any kind of forums, musicians forums, or anything like that, or do you kind of like just stick to Facebook? Like, like, give us a, give us well, a sense of, of, of see- how you surf the internet to try to promote yourself. Well,
1: this is the thing. See, I'm a bit naughty, really, because I mean, I I've got a day <laughs> job, bit of part time. I've got <laughs> just lots of things happening all the time, and music is something I squeeze in. I was lucky last year because I had eight and a half months out of the twelve months on furlough with my company so i just embraced that and thought i'm going to treat it as a day job as if i'm doing music full-time and then put out two albums last year and then an album this year so within the space of 12 months i've recorded and released three albums so that's that's what can happen when you're doing it full-time um the 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 problem of course is is getting the time so going back to your question the social media side of things um Again, <laughs> I've sort of come off Facebook anyway because of various political things going on in the UK mm. a year and a half ago. It became quite toxic, so I came off. Well, tr- trust um, me, the same but, things um, are happening here, yeah. <laughs> but people, this is the thing. I don't really go on musician forums, and I should. I mean, I was I was linked on to some of these musician forums on Facebook, but having not been on there recently, <laughs> you know, not been going on to them and, and chatting to other musicians. Uh, the only place I do is Slaps.com, which is obviously part and parcel of uh, DistriKid. So that's where I've found I've been chatting to people mostly and it's nice to put your music on there and then you get some comments and some constructive comments and uh, yeah, people save your tracks. So it's... You, know, you realize that actually it can touch some people's lives in a positive way right that was um, that was
0: I'm sorry didn't mean it didn't mean to <laughs> interrupt you there but I was going to say that's one of the things that I did like about slaps is the uh, interactivity of it you know um, mm. where you basically you know you see the fires going up you can see where the comments are posted you know um, I think yes. I think that that was a neat little feature I think that they really tapped tapped into something there um, I did well obviously they did they didn't give it the publicity that it deserves because it's it's not that big but oh. um, but I think if anyone's if anyone's watching this and you don't know about slaps uh, i think that's where we hooked up for the first time yes that's
1: right absolutely yes yeah. So yeah so because you can comment on people's tracks you can direct message people so that's that's where the interactive action comes through and it's, mm-hmm. it it enables people to actually work together, and, and yeah, you know, people will come forward and say, I'd like to collaborate with you, and so it opens up new doors potentially across the world.
0: Right. So if you don't know about Slaps, then uh, definitely go on to DistroKid, find Slaps if you're on there. Um, if you if you need the website address, it's obviously Slaps.com. Uh, go give it, a, go check it out. Upload your music there also, and uh, you know you'll definitely receive some love for some, from some few people there. Um, let's talk about your latest release. Give us a little bit of info in it.
1: Right, okay, so the album latest release is called White Raven. It's the third album. Uh, It was named so because of my friend uh, Anna, very good friend, actually one of the tracks is... is, uh, the album is dedicated to her. Uh, She said they'll... and I think she meant it in a really positive way is that you're quite an unusual, unusual person and you're like a white raven. I thought, Oh, that's, you know, when you, as a musician, yeah. you sort of hear these phrases and hear things, and you think, oh, oh, I'll keep that. I'll store that. And, um, yeah, that just stayed with me. that was about four or five years ago when I first recorded the album with a friend called uh, Nick John Wilson. Very good producer, musician, singer. Very good. Brilliant. And, um, I can't praise him enough. Yeah, we we did some work together and I originally recorded those together with him. Um, and then the nucleus of that, I've just completely re-recorded and revised and re-approached them. Um, the album itself, I try to do a variety of songs and write in different styles, different genres. Don't like being labelled as one thing, but I do like bands like Queen, Nilo, Beatles and Pink Floyd, they've got their own sound, their own stamp on things. Oh, absolutely. But they, I mean, you just listen to something like A Night at the Opera by Queen, and you've got anything from light opera to 1920s vaudeville to rock to heavy metal to operatic stuff, and it's its just everything, but it's all got the Queen sound. For instance, it's a, it's a frustration of mine that you hear people saying, oh, Queen, they all sound the same. No, no, they've got their sound, but the songs you can't compare. Bicycle Race to Flash, or Bohemian Rhapsody. To, oh no, absolutely uh, not. We will rock you. So it's but, but and that's the approach I take with the album and, and with all my work. I just try and do, you know, a song in the style of Jeff Lynne, ELO. I mean, the Keep on Keeping On that you kindly featured on your show. Um, that was my very specifically 1986-87 period of Jeff Lynne and producing. George Harrison. So I wanted to write a song exactly in that vein, like George Harrison's song "Cheer Down." That it's it's a great song, and it's it's kind of just just wanted to capture that feel, um, and and that's what I did. Yeah, just, just that was one of the new ones I wrote for the album because I had about ten I'd originally written, uh, of which I kept six for this particular album, and then wrote some new ones as well.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, back to your point with, with, with Queen, you know, I think it's kind of ridiculous that people do say that, you know, it sounds the same because you're absolutely right. It does not at all. Um, same thing, same with Pink Floyd is every every song has has a different theme to it, a different kind of emotion that, that, that it touches, you know, so... Um, uh, be, be, besides those bands, like who are some of your of, of your like top influences as, as as far as like you were mentioning like keep on keeping on right so um who who would you say that 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 like really inspired you to like kind of like go forth with that song in particular
1: that song in particular was was Jeff Lynne I wanted to capture that great sort of positive happy sound but in my life generally I mean I I grew up listening to I was quite very lucky actually because my dad uh, liked uh, he had these Ronco K Tel cheap sort of versions, I suppose, of classical music. So we had classical music, we loved country music, uh, you know, proper US country music, um, and, and some of the older sort of country music, so I grew up listening to that. They both loved Elvis, mom and Dad, uh, Motown, all the 60s stuff. And then uh, sometime in the early 80s, um, it's odd, because I sort of discovered the Beatles through watching... I mean, they've become such a big influence in my life. And uh, But from watching Yellow Submarine as a child and loving it and loving the music, and then there was a, a... I don't know if you had it in America, but certainly in the UK, we had, in the early 80s, this um, sort of weird um, studio band, Stars on 45, and it, they did a Beatles one. They did an ABBA one and a few other things. But 45 being obviously the record speed, and uh, Stars on 45, and they would just do versions and, and segues of songs just just you know, lots of songs of theirs in one track or one album side or something like that so um and there was a Beatles one so I grew up knowing the Beatles um, cover versions of the Beatles before I did the Beatles stuff okay uh, properly and when I finally got to sort of mid to late teens in what we would have for, or used to have a for sixth form seventh form at school that's when I sort of yeah really got into them Sergeant Pepper there was a a 20 year anniversary program on called It Was 20 Years Ago Today and they went behind the scenes and interviewed George Martin and you know with the mixing desk and everything and isolated the tracks and it was just just blew my mind and and of course from then then I discovered Bob Dylan and Led Zeppelin and obviously liked things like Queen already and but all those things particularly Bob Dylan and perhaps Ray Davis of the Kings yeah, writing-wise, they influence me. It doesn't necessarily come out in my writing, I think, in, in my songs, but they influence me nevertheless. Um, just because Bob Dylan, the way his words just flow from him. Yeah. It's like he's just, just you know, getting messages directly from God or something. It's, it's incredible. And um, and again, yeah, musically, just uh, I think when Jimi Hendrix came into my life, when I was about 16, 17, and it just changed everything it's just a total game changer uh because you just realize that things can be done artistically differently and and then of course you know I'm liking David Bowie as well and all the great artists and Kate Bush so you know i've, I've got actually a really eclectic mix of music i listen to anything from um Hildegard von Bingen in the sort of early uh, sort of uh, um, I don't know if it's choral music really, but it's uh, some religious music. But it, anything right through to present day stuff, and, and I think if it's good music, it's good music. So any good music will influence me.
0: Well, yeah, I, I always say that that you know if the music's good, it's going to resonate through the ages. You, you know, I mean, mm. it, there's there's never going to be like you know you, you're never not going to hear about the Beatles. You know, they right, they're, yeah. they're they're cemented in history just basically forever. From the time that you knew about them, every single generation will know about them. But um, it's timeless. Yeah. What's um, so we were talking about you were going to be doing a a Christmas album. Like, um, are you doing the Christmas album first or or, or what's what's your future release plan right now?
1: Well, at the moment, I've already got um, my next album in 2022 is um, going to be classified file. um, And that's going to be something that's going to be a complete variety of of things. Uh, I've got a few extra. I mean, I've just bought a um, on order. I've got a uh, Moog. Uh, theremini. It's like a theremin, but it's mm. a theremini. So that will enable me to create some ambient music, like a Brian Eno sort of sound and Jean-Michel Jar type thing. That's another potential project. Um, but the Christmas project, um, I had worked with my friend Nick um, on a Christmas album. Um, we've got 12 tracks lined up, although there's a few complications as they can be when you're collaborating with people as to the way we go about it. And so that's kind of being held up at the moment, unfortunately. Um, So, but already I've preemptively sort of started writing more songs a few years back anyway. Um, So I've got another few songs coming out. Certainly next year, I'm definitely going to be releasing an album, this Christmas album. Um, This year, I'm thinking of just doing a three, four track EP just because I want to get out in the Christmas market. Now, the reason for that is years ago, About six years ago, I decided to write, you know, 12... I thought, well, the Christmas market, firstly, people like Slade, I think, get something like £800,000 a year in royalties because it gets played on the radio and TV and all sorts. Well, you know, I wouldn't mind a tenth of that. That would be quite nice. (laughs) That would be life-changing for me. So, (laughs) So I thought, well, if I write a song that's even a tenth as good as Merry Christmas, Everybody, and get, you know, a tenth of the money... Uh, well, that would be good. And, you know, it becomes something that becomes a regular thing. And I thought, well, if I can write 12 of those brand new songs on an album and that uh, are radio-friendly and commercial, then you've got 12 chances, 12 shots at getting that regular royalty income. And I think Christmas Market is the one that's immune to trends and styles. In fact, all the for the last two decades, there's been very... Few songs that have been actually good, and the only ones that have been decent really have been the ones that have got that retro old style feel. I mean, and going back a bit further, you know, one of the biggest Christmas songs is uh, Mariah Carey's one. Now, that one was heavily Motown based, and you listen to the production, it's phenomenal. But it's a great song, but they threw everything in the kitchen sink in with that song, and and, and it paid off. Well, now, it, did, it
0: did. I was just going to say it did pay off one hundred percent because every single Christmas you just can't you can't get away from it. I mean, you know, they exactly, start playing that yeah. song around Thanksgiving,
1: but, and, and the, boom. But here's the point. Here's the point. You said exactly. You hit the nail on the head. You can't avoid hearing it. Now I go out every Christmas, and and you know you can be Christmas shopping, and people are moaning about the same old songs. And I thought, well. That's why I thought writing a whole album, because the Christmas album market is very tried and tested. You've got people like Michael Buble, Kylie, and whoever, and they'll they'll have 12, 13, 14 songs, usually about 12 songs. One of them, two at a push, will be written for them that's a brand-new Christmas song that's okay to average, and it'll be fairly okay. And the rest of it is all rehashed, rejigged, reworked, old standard Christmas songs and that is the Christmas album market and I thought well if I can break away from that and start making something that's completely new that's all nice and lots of variety in it because the original album that I'd written had a sort of Bing Crosby crooner style one I had a country song um, I had a uh, sort of a quirky I don't know if you know Stop the Cavalry, Jonah Louie, but we had a big song over here called Stop the Cavalry and uh, so, so one that had that sort of quirkiness to it. Um, and each song had a different style, different era. I had a sort of 70s glam rock Slade type stomping song. So that was the approach. And this is going to be the approach to the next album as well. I just want a complete variety because, as I say, Christmas music is relatively immune to whatever style it is. If it's a good song and you put jingle bells on it, it's, it's going to be yeah. a good Christmas song.
0: Okay. Is the theory? No, yeah, no, I, 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 totally agree with you because you know, even even if you're, even if you are just sitting there pissing and moaning about it, you're you're giving it some kind of recognition that it exists, you know. So, um, I totally yeah. agree with you on that. Now, let me ask you because because when you mentioned Jimmy Jimi Hendrix. Um, you know, listening to him when you were 16, you had a little, little sparkle in your eye and everything like that, you know? So, um, what was, what was the defining moment for you when you absolutely knew like, Hey, I got to get into music. I absolutely love it. Like, like this
1: is what I want to do. What was that defining moment for you? Um, well, I guess, um, my dad had years ago and I've still got it in the loft. Actually. It's uh, it's an old small, I guess it's a a two-thirds size guitar. um, that he had from when he was about nine years old. He never really played it, never really got into it. And I saw every now and then we'd pick it up and I actually sort of decided to restring it and, and just picked it up and started playing and come up with a sort of very basic sort of thing. And and from there, I th- probably from that moment, I thought, oh, I like this, I enjoyed this. It was nice to create something from nothing. I mean, when you first pick up the guitar, you know, you're learning things and chords and basic things. Um and you're learning to play other people's songs, but in time you, you start creating your own things. I got a guitar from my uncle as well, who was very much into sort of Queen and uh, Rainbow, Deep Purple and all that kind of thing. And and, and he gave me for Christmas uh, one of his old guitars. And that was you know, one of the best Christmas presents I've ever had, really. Um, just had it restored recently. And uh, I think that also changed, was a game changer. So I think... As far as, you know, me personally concerned, you know, those two guitars uh, were were the sort of starting point. And uh, then I just started, you know, from 1987, 88, 88, started writing songs. And and so I've got a (laughs) backlog of 30 plus years of songs. But, but you know, some of the ones on the albums, I mean, you know, they are ones I'm writing anew. And they seem to be the ones that are most well received, which is interesting, which makes me think, oh, I must be improving my... Songcraft song skills, yeah, uh, which is good. Well, I, I hope, yeah. But well, the actual moment, I mean, musically listening to people, I think when you know you, you, you hear someone like Hendrix, or particularly, I think um, actually where I live now is, is just a stone's throw away from the house where I first heard Led Zeppelin, and a, a guy who was a local Labour councillor um, here introduced me to Led Zeppelin. He said, "This is it's a bit of a niche thing." He said, "You yeah, know, it's a bit, bit um, you know." Specialist, I think he's used the word, and uh, heard it, and it just blew my mind. And, and I think those moments collectively, yeah, around the same era, were a melting pot just of uh, realizing that I love music that much. And I, I think, you know, I can, I think I'm going to have a go at writing this and just enjoy it. I enjoyed singing and always seem to harmonize quite well, so, and find harmonies. So I think there's always been a bit of that in me. And I tend to, when you hear things on radio, I just hear, you know, you, you, there'll be some hit that's been around for years and I'll just be singing a part that's not actually there, but I kind of kind of hear it I mean, it probably, it could be there but they probably just, you know, pared it down a bit because I the tend to road. throw things in yeah. <laughs> too much probably no yeah see
0: that's that, that's why i stick with electronic music i can't sing for the life of me so you know well i'm glad that there are singers out there that that that, that you know that can harmonize and vocalize and everything like that and your stuff is like your stuff is really good production quality um do you mix and master at home do you go to a studio do you have an audio engineer are you the audio engineer like how do you work your stuff man
1: um well the the chap i mentioned nick he uh, sort of mentored me mentored me i i I don't know what that was. Sorry. Uh, w- watched watched him closely and and kept asking questions when we were working on previous uh, previous albums, and um, and it got to the stage where I set up. I had a little this little box room is is it box room studios I call it, and uh, it's um, everything happens here. I mean it's, it's you know, all the sounds that you hear on the album, it doesn't sound like a little box room studio. Um, but I've got my guitars here. I've got my acoustic, electric, electrics, um, bass shakers and a few other live instruments and things um, other than that i um, use logic pro i program everything in i orchestrate on there i learn how to orchestrate how to spread the instruments across you know to pan them nicely so that as if you're listening to an orchestra so it actually feels like there's more space in there um, and just just uh, try to sort of learn as much as possible so i record yeah so so i basically write here and create the songs, usually on guitar, but sometimes on piano now, um, which creates variety in itself. Um, record them on the microphone there, um, and play them, produce them, and mix them and master them. So, but all of that, I mean, I just go onto YouTube, listen to some people. If I need some mixing tips on X, Y, and Z, um, then then it's just a case of just listening and learning and and picking up bits and practice. I mean, even from starting to record about a year ago and getting those two albums out i listened to those two albums and i yeah i want to fiddle with them and, and mix them slightly better um you know I, I still like what i've done there and they're good they're good enough but you know if you're a perfectionist you think it could always be a little bit better a little, a little bit just
0: <laughs> just just a little bit more right so yeah but,
1: but um i'm hearing i mean you know if you hear one track from the original album uh and to the third album you can hear that the production is being, you know, it's just just being refined and polished a bit more.
0: Well, I, I, I've chipped away the sculpture a bit more well I, I don't know how old the songs are that you, that you actually submitted but I did listen to all three of them uh, and mm. they, they all sound pretty much the same so I don't know how far along those were uh, you know in your in your production expertise but you know they were spot on man I like I, like, I really I really oh, enjoyed you. them like listening listening to them through 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 the headphones you know I'm picking up little nuances as well you know I'm a musician myself so um, yeah yeah I think I think you're doing a great job and that's why that, that's why I was asking the question is if you if you didn't master or if you had like an audio engineer there that was actually helping you out with anything but I mean good audio for for you know for doing uh for doing research hopping up on youtube and um listening to a few tutorials is always great because my earlier stuff personally right it was um i really didn't understand the concept of mastering you know and and youtube really wasn't a big thing back then either you know we're talking once again we're talking 2003 here i think the first time i heard about youtube was in 2007 i don't even know like when they formed really but um like before I released the album previous to my to my uh, newest release, right? what I did is I hopped on there and I was trying to learn more about compression I, and I landed on this one guy and he was showing how, Different types of compression work for different songs like if you have a slower song you can add compression to it Right, but make it lower, you know, tune up that attack a little bit make those drums, you know softer So that way you're not like right. you're not like overbearing or anything like that, right? So that's that's one thing. That's one thing that, that I've learned is you're absolutely right YouTube is a great resource for you know some tutorials and everything like that and once again good on you for doing your research there
1: well, I, th- I think um, I mean firstly I'm on compression I think yeah, you know, that's an art in itself, and and I, I definitely yeah you know, that that's been the biggest game changer from the second, you know, first and second album to the third album is, utilisation of compression and uh, and getting those vocals just sitting nicely and certain instruments popping out at the right place. Um, I mean, I try to I try to create a sonic landscape anyway with each song. I approach it. And, you know, and and hear things um, and just hear little bits and, and want the details so that people could I mean it's like uh, you know, when the Giles Martin um, remixed remastered rather remixed uh, the, uh, the White Album and Sgt. Pepper there are details in that that I'd never heard before. So it's that kind of thing, but having that level of pink Floyd detail where there's things and sounds mm. and so that it becomes interesting. And I was listening to, I think it was a Beatles track or something. Oh, I don't know. It wasn't a Beatles track, but it was, it was. A, it might be a Bowie track, but there was a detail in it. And I've listened to the track hundreds of times probably in my lifetime. And it only just became apparent to me recently. I don't know why, but maybe I'm listening to things with a producer's ear more or trying to be probably from a production perspective, but I'm noticing stuff and, and, um, and that's always good. I think that's a good tip for anybody making music. If you're producing your own is one of the best tips was to say, if you're trying to do a certain sort of, I mean, most of my music's retro sort of sound. So it's based rooted in eighties, seventies and sixties of all my favorite artists. And I try and replicate their sort of sounds and the sort of nuances of their sounds. So, um, but I, th- I think it's, it's good to listen to their stuff incessantly before you make a track that's like theirs. For instance, like a T-Rex track, I listened to a few T-Rex tracks and then you know, got that Mark Boland feel and then um, tried to replicate that feel because I've been absorbing it. And I think it's worth doing, listening to it on the same speakers. So that's the sound that was produced when somebody produced it really well. So if you listen to it and and then you, your track sounds similar, then you know you're on the right lines. So that's a really good tip that somebody gave. Um, and uh, and again, you know, if you're producing from home, uh, yeah, that it always frustrates me. I mean, in the '90s, with with technology and computers coming along, the lay person could get hold of music, which is a good and bad thing because the standard of music potentially, yeah, you know, because it's less professionals doing it, could drop. And over the years, it probably has overall, but there are some really good artists out there. Oh, absolutely. Phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, and you think, as I say, you, know, you don't get the impression from my albums, I think, you don't get the impression that it's made in a little box room studio with one guy doing it all. It just doesn't sound like it. So so that's good. So, but that's the point I would make, is that with the technology at our disposal, why is everybody using the same sounds because they want to the same sound like the pop? Charts and things. Why are they using the same sounds? Why aren't they? You know, we've got we've got the world of noise and and you know all these plugins that we could use and live instruments and ideas and you can reverse things and and you know do all sorts of uh, 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 what's the what's the word sort of uh, audio effects and things on them. Now with that at your disposal, why wouldn't you do these creative Pink Floydy? sort of amazing things and the point sorry just one more point the point i'd make is that it's so easy that's the that's the problem it's too easy almost because queen and pink floyd and the bands like that had to really work hard and the beatles you know they created so many new effects as a result of trying and exploring and you know just 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 trying all sorts of different things just to get the sound right and, and what they wanted uh, you, there's a really good YouTube documentary on 10cc's I'm Not In Love, and they laid down something like, I think, you know, it's, it's like 240, effectively, 240 vocals, or 256 or whatever it is works out to be. but it's because they, they sang every note several times, and then they actually played it live on the mixing desk to make the chords as, as they mixed it in. On, on the vocals, which is just phenomenal, and that's why that song sounds so unique, and and nothing else has sounded like it since, really, because because it, it was only done once. So, but this is this is the thing, you know. But people don't seem to want to um, create. Well, many people, or at least the record companies, don't want to create something. Mm artistic
0: that's, that's a very good point right there and and just and just i, I didn't mean to interrupt you, interrupt you there or anything but it was that's just right. like you know <laughs> excuse me So <clears throat> right, i'll get on a bit of a flow so <laughs> no it's all good yeah yeah i like hearing you talk and i like hearing you explain things because you know hey this is all good information for the artists that are out there right and mm. and i just I, I personally think that a lot of it has to do a little bit with ego um, you know, especially and and this frustrates me because this is initially I started, you know, when I was growing up, I was listening to a lot of hip hop, um, until Metallica was introduced to me. And then when I heard Metallica, the, the, the black album, that's when that's when my music taste started, started, like, kind of like spiraling everywhere. But you know, but I think people are just getting lazy, man. Like, honestly, yeah. like, like the yeah. lack of imagination just because somebody tells you. That you're a good rapper, or you know, and like 15 kids in your neighborhood think you're a good rapper, you know, it doesn't mean that you need to, you know, hit an EP, you know, talk to somebody, well, you know, get some information yeah. going, be creative, don't, you know, emulate Lil Wayne, especially, you know, don't emulate his <laughs> yeah. style, you know, it's just kind of like go out and and, and try to, um, you know, think of something all your own. And this is why I think like Mask Wolf, like, like blew up the way that he did is because there was actually context to his lyrics. He had a solid beat. He had a solid hook. And you know, this is why he's blown up. It was, it was something, you know, outside of the mainstream that kind of like became mainstream now as to, as to your point was like, you know, originality.
1: Well, this is, this is the thing. uh, And if only the record companies took a few chances and just, just tried to sort of, even if they had a nurture program where they took on a few more extra artists and just, just, you know, just, just promote them and try something a bit different because this is, this is exactly the reason why things, because they don't do different things, this is the reason things haven't have stagnated for the last 20 years. Nothing really has developed or become new. That might be because Western music has found its limitations and borders, finally, and you know, because everything's being regurgitated and repeated. Um, but um, but I don't believe that really truly with my heart because what I've created is all new stuff. I mean, you know, there's... There's, there's nothing, it's it's alluding to the music that I like. I think my brain tends to take things from, you know, little tunes and melodies that it's heard, and it just sort of mashes them up, and then some, suddenly on the guitar something will come out, and the melody, and I think, that kind of sounds like something, I don't know what, and then I sort of work it out and think, oh, well, maybe it's because it's, I've heard that recently, and, and it, it amalgamated with that song, and, and it became something else. But it just goes to show... You can create new music that is different, and and maybe, again, dare I say, has melody as well. I mean, you know, the, the the problem with a lot of the music in the last certainly five and ten years is that years ago, you know, choruses used to have and, and songs generally used to have a lot of melody. Now, the last the trend in the last five years or so has been one-note choruses and two-note choruses, maybe three at a push. And for my money, that's really boring. But people seem to I don't know if they like it or not or if they're just following the crowd I don't know what it is but how can people just keep listening to the same stuff all over again and say oh this is so cool man man this is so good as if they've just heard something for the first time ever and it's not and it's a lie yeah (laughs) so so I don't know what your thoughts are (coughs) on that
0: well um, you know I think it's, I think it's a Saturday morning cartoon effect, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how it was, how it was there in England, right? But Saturday mornings here (laughs) were, you know, you woke up, you watched cartoons for like three, four hours, you know, you ate some cereal right in front of the telly, you know? And, um, and the thing that I didn't notice as a kid, I notice now, you know, as, as an adult and as a parent is that, you know, when the cartoons are on. This is when all the advertisers are really pushing, you know, their their, their cereals mm-hmm. or their toys or whatever, obviously, because they have you glued in front of the TV, right? And yeah. I think that that same point could be made to music. Because you're driving to work or driving to the store or whatever the case may be, you constantly get bombarded with that same song over and over again. And you just end up liking it because it's just there. That's that's really like your only option. You know, you don't you don't really like head on Spotify and do like your research on. Let me look up some indie artists, right? It's like, no, you hear the song on the radio. Then you go on Spotify to add that song into your playlist. So that way you can listen to it over and over and over again yet again. So once again, back to the point of originality and everything. This I think that that's just how it works is just with. With the mainstream just, just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, that's all it is. It's advertising and it's advertising to you directly so that way you can just keep buying that product, you know? Yeah, so, I think so, yeah.
1: There's a degree of herd mentality today, <sighs> I think, as well. <clears throat> I think uh, people, um, yeah, people people just uh, accept. I think that's, that's the problem. Is yeah, A lot of people accept this is the way it is, like they do in life, you know, for generally, you know, it's... But it's not, you know, you can change things. And there's music out there to be discovered. It's just harder to find than it used to be. It, it used to be that by a matter of, as a matter of course, there used to be variety. I, mean, I look at the 80s and, and I, it, I know USA has a different sort of market, although we did have a lot of universal artists that, that were sort of uh, had hits on both sides of the pond. Um, but, you know, you, you could get something from um, uh, the Smiths. Then something from Survivor, Eye of the Tiger and Iron Maiden and Madness and uh, you get sort of your pop stuff like Tony Basil Mickey or Talking Heads once in a Lifetime. But you just talk about those, and not one of those songs is, is the same. But they could all yeah, they'll they'll all be within the same era, but they're all different. And it's just such an interesting market and we accepted that then and that was what they was they were advertising and pushing and promoting and foisting on us. It just happened to be that it was a glorious time of variety uh, of different genres. But the problem is also, I think, with things like the likes of iTunes and categorization, that the, that, the, that the systems and Spotify, all these online streaming things, they require categorization, specific genres, this. If you like this, then you must like this. And 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 that's unfortunate because it's not just giving you a general, broad brush of music. It's it's just saying right. That's that little neat compartment. That's what you like, and you'd like that. And the problem and is then people don't go looking outside of that.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I I, to- I totally agree. Uh, you know, um, it, it is a it, it is a damn shame because you know we're talking about like the uh, like the explosion of the internet, especially, you know, when the iPhone came out, the, you know, the first smartphone, right? So everything was like right there at your fingertips and it was, and it was so much easier before that to actually get heard and, and, you know, and actually gain fans and everything. And now that technology is at the push of a button, it's, and you're right, it is, it is, it is, you know, systematic to what you're saying is that, Hey, if you like this, then you must like this. And it just keeps on going in that general rotation. They call it They call it the intelligent algorithm, right? But I don't think that there's any algorithm no. to it at all. I think well, that... Well,
1: it's, it's, it's this real shame because the technology that... You know, we, we dreamed... When I was young, we dreamed of, you know, this what they call star technology or whatever they call it. And, and um, you know, the, the, to, to think that we could have a device in our hands that could connect to anybody in the world, that you could be talking like we are now, or... That we could find out almost anything that's ever existed or known, or bits of text, or just just anything in the world at, at our fingertips. And what do most people do? They go on and look up naughty stuff and whatever. But you know, it's it's so that's human nature, I guess. Yeah, you know, that's that's the way we go with it. Instead of doing the really uh, clever things, we do we do the sort of simple, lazy. Things, I guess, I guess,
0: right? Because it's it, it... a
1: bit like that with the music, I guess, because we sort of think, well, well, I, I, I guess it's like if I get in my car. And I'm going out and about to see uh, customers and appointments and things. I'll have, uh, you know, my, my, uh what's it called thingy, USB stick, so, playlist of songs on there. So I'm listening to the same stuff again and again, and then I change it every now and then. So it's not really broadening my horizons at all.
0: So I pers- I personally think you know some of the music that's that's out there. Like um, I don't know if you remember Jennifer Lopez, her song um, "Jenny on the Block." Do you, yes. do you recall the song at all? I do. yeah. yeah. It, it's real simple. It's just basically, uh, don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the Block. Something like that, right? The, there was 18 writers credited for that, and that's basically, you know, basically all it says on a loop. And then you kind of look at Freddie Mercury who wrote Bohemian Rhapsody all by, <laughs> all, by all by himself, right? So oh, my um,
1: old Bowie who wrote Life on Mars. Yeah, so, you know. So oh, there's an interesting thing about Life on Mars because that was actually he'd he had submitted some lyrics for My Way, uh, for Frank Sinatra's My Way, but uh, it was, um, I think it was Paul, was it Paul Anker? I can't remember if it was Paul Anker's um, words were used in the end, but uh, uh, his were rejected. Uh, but that obviously stayed with him because it's the same chord progression in, in Life on Mars, so that was a kind of uh, offshoot of being rejected, so that wasn't a bad result, really. It just goes to show, actually, that... that things turn out quite well very often
0: they they do uh but so who besides your besides your own creativity obviously who would you say would be uh an inspiration for you vocally as far as as far as like um maybe creating some content you know in your mind like
1: lyrically uh lyrically it's, it's interesting. I try and write in the... I mean, for the T-Rex song, I, I, I decided to write lyrics in a sort of simple rhyming format, um, like Mark Bolinwood's kind of thing, yeah, and it's, it's those kind of lyrics, to spaces sort and of things. Um, I've, I, I'm guessing really, actually, probably the most influential lyrically has got to be Leonard McCartney, I think, first and foremost. Um, but, and I say, Bob Dylan... I, Every now and then I get the urge to sort of write something a bit more Dylan-esque, but it never sort of quite comes out that way. And it's too obviously like Dylan. And uh, and then if you try and sing in the style of Dylan, it's going to be too obvious it is Dylan. So I, I think, um, so. I, I, oddly enough, he's influenced me massively in the way he approaches lyrics, I think. Um, Paul Simon, I would say, lyrically. I try and, again, when I actually listen to my own songs, I don't hear lyrically any of those influences but they're there i mean they're definitely there bowie i like like bowie i like the idea of some of bowie's early songs he used to apparently take snippets from newspapers and lines that he liked put them together and just just place them together and see how they turn out um but you know clever lyricists uh kate bush in terms of her i mean she likes writing from when she's read a book or from a subject, obscure angles, and I, I quite like that as well, the old idea of that is, is nice. I tend to think, I think the songs tend to, oddly enough, write themselves. I mean, I think when I'm writing, I f- what I tend to do on the latest songs, the newest songs I tend to write are, um, I'll get the chords first, a melody will somehow come out of that anyway, just naturally, and then it will develop, and then I'll know the sort of meter of the song and where the syllables are. And sometimes I'll write down Mark where the syllables are and then, then work around that. Or it'll be one line. And, and normally I'll have to get that initial line to get things moving. Uh, the song might feel like... Or it might it might be that because I've given it a working title, the song feels a certain way, so I've called it something. And then that sparked my mind off into writing around that sort of, that sort of content but usually it'll be one line that suddenly comes to mind, and then everything builds around that line. Um, and it's—I think what I want to try and do is lyrically is try and write more chorusy stuff, you know, so that it's a bit more poppy chorusy And I, because I, when I listen to myself, I think, well, there's sorts of choruses there, yeah. And I know I've written choruses deliberately, but maybe more of it would be good. Uh, but then also, um, on something on the recent album, the track called Fire is a disco song. I did a single version of that, and then I did an extended album version. So every time I do a single, I'm trying to do a radio single edit, and then on the album, you get the longer version. So you get a bit more on the album. So it's a bit more value for money kind of thing, uh, is the way I looked at it. And uh, the, uh, the, one, the so-called bonus track, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. So or like a 12-inch or something, but on on the album. And, um, and for that one, that was... I wanted it to, to be like a Bee Gees disco, album, uh, disco song, I based it rhythmically on um, Night Fever originally and its pace and then developed it from there, uh, but but I wanted to do an extended chorus because I've always been a fan of Benny Anderson and Bjorn Alvaeus. they I mean considering that they're Swedish and English isn't their first language. They wrote some amazing lyrics that are better than a lot of English writers could write. And their songs and structure are incredible. I think if you study anyone, for, I mean, whether you like them or not, and it's not whether it's your cup of tea or your kind of music or not, studying ABBA's music uh, is worth doing because the production values, the quality of the songwriting, the song structures, and just the actual melodies and, right. and how they've put them all together. And the array of sounds and the vocally and Yetta, and um and their vocals are world-class i mean you hear people singing abba on karaoke mm-hmm. and they'll think oh i like this song so i'll sing it and you it always sounds like cats and, <laughs> and you know <laughs> screaming but ultimately <laughs> um, it shows just how good they were. They were so good, and they blended so well because one was a, I think, alto soprano, and one, one was a, a soprano, and, and and they just blended so well. So, um, so but I wanted to write a long, extended chorus for that, and and it just sort of developed into that, and and it became a very long chorus. That one fire, but I'm very pleased with it. Um, on Slaps.com, it, <laughs> I don't feel like it's got recognition it should have done, but. But some songs are like that. They're, they're very. You think, oh, this one's this one's going to be the one because it's got a great hooky bass line. It's a bit disco, you know. And, and you know, not, not not many responses at all on that one. And I thought, hmm, okay, I obviously you know, think differently, and and it's just not hit the mark. Uh, whereas something like *Blondie*, um, it's straightforward rock. I wanted to do an early '80s sounding pop rock song. Uh, somebody said it's a bit like *Cheap Trick* sort of sound. I heard a bit of Joan Jett sort of sound in it as well. Um, and it's been really popular. Just hit hit the right, right sort of uh, mark somehow. Right. But lyrically, um, yeah, I think there's a number of different writers. I mean, uh, I don't know. i just trying to try and absorb what I can from people. And I like, I think Paul Simon, his turn of phrase is fantastic. You know, he's, he's, but well, he crafts his songs. I mean, he has a, a board and, a, and everything and he takes time he's very precise with with his lyrics i remember seeing a documentary on him and it and he said he just just you know takes as long as it takes to to craft the song um but there's so much precision in there and the thing with simon and garfunkel music and paul simon's music is any song you listen to once you've heard the lyrics it's hard to forget them right yeah they are so memorable there's so many good lines i like to think that in every song I write, there's there's a killer line somewhere. I always try and aim for that, so that there's one line that I would call a killer line. With Paul Simon, the songs are littered with them. I mean, you, you put on Graceland, and it's just got line after line of brilliant lines. You think, oh, that's good. But Bob Dylan, I, I, I aspire to write as well as him. This is the thing. He comes up with so many good lines that just hit you right in your soul. A lot of people don't seem to latch on to Dylan, but those that do... He sort of gets you right, right there. There's a there's a song called "Not Dark Yet." I suppose it's all built around the word "yet," really, ultimately, you know, because it's kind of coming to the end of his life. He's I think he'd had a heart attack around the time. But the lyrics, they just you know, just almost bring me to tears every time because he's just telling it, telling the truth. It's just like it is.
0: Right. Well, I mean that 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 that's that's one of the main things that I like about music also is, is you can usually specifically pinpoint a certain certain time in your life with it or it just kind of like triggers some kind of emotion, you know, so I totally understand what what you're getting is, is because you know, um, like on Slaps.com, uh, really fast friends also were the lethargics. Like I was telling them, you know, they had an instantly recognizable melody to me. Uh, you know, I compared them to uh, to Luke Cave and everything. But um, but I, I I do enjoy that. I do enjoy when when the lyrics go a little deeper, you know, rather than just being just hey, they're there because they're part of the song, you know. So actually studying the lyrics and
1: everything. Well, once again, good on you because it's working in your music, man. So you know you just... well this is the thing I, I try and I mean <laughs> I, I think probably the lyrics are left a little wanting in respect of because you know I, I've never really trained myself to uh, vocally uh, you know to, to know what the O's and oo's and R's you know, what to put and where which ones work for higher notes and, and lower notes because I, I should study that too, really, but uh, but I just do what I feel sounds right, and if if the lyric isn't quite sounding right, then then it can be tweaked slightly, and, and I'm usually quite good with words, and I can I can sort of manipulate the words and, and um, make make them work uh, the way I want them to work, and uh, try new things. But I think it's just I've got a couple of ideas that I'm working on. One one is a sort of a <laughs> sort of old Rex Harrison sort of style, because he couldn't sing but he could talk. On, in pitch so yeah whereas the other actors and on the films the musicals would have to sing and they'd begrudgingly sort of uh, <laughs> allow him to sort of uh, do his spoken word thing and i've got a song like that that I, I i about the sort of science of words as if he's a scientist of the words so so that would be an interesting one probably on the next album and um uh, another concept about sort of uh, putting words together in threes and, and talking in threes. And there's a song I've got together with that. And again, this is just so I like these sort of just sometimes obscure things. That said, uh, yeah, when I was going through a divorce um, oh, about five years ago now and split up and everything, it was quite painful as divorces are. It could have been a lot worse because they can often go on a downward spiral. But, mm-hmm. but my way of getting through it was to write songs. And for the first time, actually write songs, directly from the heart because I've been listening to a bit of Lennon, John Lennon at the time. And he always seemed to, um, I think from help onwards, uh, very often he would write, um, directly, certainly on his solo work. It was very direct, very, you know, just saying what he felt and that, that he loved Yoko and he loved this, or this like that and, and give peace a chance. You know, very simple messages. Imagine if the world was, you know, in a beautiful place, mm. simple stuff. And I thought, well, I tried that. So on this album, you've got track like uh, "Can You Feel My Pain," so it's it's me hurting at the time and smarting from from that whole thing. And a couple of the tracks I've left off the album because otherwise it becomes a divorce breakup album, and it's like you know, and, and and you don't want you don't want that because you know you've got enough artists like Adele doing that. I mean, I remember when my mum got an Adele album at Christmas once. And she played it. We were playing cards and a few board games, all having fun. And she put Adele on it. it and in an hour of that, I said, Mum, please, could we change this and have some Christmas music on? Then I wanted to hear all the old Christmas songs. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, but then you've got that. And you've got, um, I was listening to, because um, I was thinking of making uh, somebody on Slaps, so I'm, I'm thinking of writing a song for and, and working with her and collaborating. And she's got a. Um, a not dissimilar voice to Taylor Swift. I mean, I was so impressed with her voice. She's been one person I've just heard and thought, well, uh, if I can give her a bit of a plug, because she's Kate Sylvester. She's very good. No, she's harmonizing so tightly. Yeah, really good. And she's just doing um, songs to, I think, like uh, regular backing tracks and things, and she's making wonderful songs. So I thought, well, she deserves a song. So, and um, And I started listening to Taylor Swift recently. Um, and you know, she's a good singer and everything and, and she became more sort of pop country pop and all that kind of thing. Um, and I realized all the lyrics were about, I don't know how many ex-boyfriends she's had, but yeah, you know, all the lyrics were about ex-boyfriends and wow, that's, that's it that's
0: just that's the content of everything right yeah like i, I think breakup songs are, are, are actually kind of uh, i guess they're i guess they're popular right uh, even phil collins i don't know if you know this or not but he actually stated in an interview like everybody was trying to figure out what in the air tonight was all about right yeah obviously one of those songs that always sticks in your head but he even said like listen i didn't have anything specific behind it you know no, it was just i was going through a divorce i was in a really dark place and yeah. out came in the air tonight you know so
1: well this is the thing i mean things come for a reason, and I found um, the acoustic guitar that, probably out of of shot there, but uh, just in its case there, um, that one I got uh, around the same sort of time as I was breaking up and everything, and um, that one, Can You Feel My Pain, was the first song I wrote on that song, uh, on that guitar, and that guitar, it's almost got a life of its own, and it's given me so many songs, I can't imagine it's just come from me alone, it's almost like the guitar has you know got songs in it it's it's a really weird thing but that's the only way I can describe it because you know it's never had a quite a guitar like that that's given me so many nice chords and songs and things um and it's probably me really but but it's nice to think that and um but I think music kind of works like that because it's kind of in all of us really you will get people who say oh I can't sing I'm tone deaf I you know I can't hold a tune and all that but I think it's in all of us because we all respond to it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we know when we hear a good song and we, you know, even people who, you know, just very straight laced sort the people, you get Dance the Night Away or something by the Mavericks or whatever on, you know, and they'll be tapping their feet because it, it connects. And, and this is the wonderful thing about music. It's a, it's a universal thing. Um, no matter what the language, what the style of music, where it comes from, it's universal and if it hits home it hits home
0: yeah and you know I, and with music being universal I really think that Gangnam Style is the, is, is the prime example of that right because I mean yeah. for crying out loud I looked at it just the other day and I think it was up to like five billion views or something like that <laughs> and, it, and wow. it, it was just it was absolutely insane so if if you even think about the initial count one billion views which was the first time that I heard it back in 2012 I think is what it was you gotta figure it are you serious one seventh of the planet has heard this song. It's just you know, so you don't have to understand <laughs> the lyrics. It's you know
1: that it's... they've been listening to it a lot of times. Right? Well, yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. <laughs> that that is that is one hundred percent true. But but to your to your point, exactly, is you don't really have to understand the language. No. You know, you can dance to it. you There's you, there's a little horse dance that he does that everybody was doing. You know, and and as long as you can tap your foot to it try to sing along with it, you know, you at least know, hey, sexy lady, right? So it does, it connects with you. So yeah, good on your point there. So um, I think this was, I think this was a great interview here, man. I like the, uh, I like oh, I like really what we were talking it. about. Do you, do you have uh, anything else personally that you'd like to add?
1: Um, I don't know really. I mean, I, I just, uh, it's nice, it's nice to do this and, and uh, it's, it's good to chat. I think, I think the good thing is, you know, connecting up with people, you get to, Realise that there's other people in the same boat out there. There's, you know, there's a chap in Germany. I'm talking to Paul Atkinson, also on Slaps. You, you know, and he's been saying, so I'm just, just sort of, just, just throwing ideas and things. And he had a song that he said, "Oh, anyone got some constructive criticism on there or ideas, what I can do with the song?" So I came back with a few ideas and things. And, and since then, we've been chatting and sending backwards, back and forth tracks, uh, his track. I've added some bits to it, sent it back. And and I think that's really nice because wherever you are in the world, you know, you, you, you're not alone now. You, you've got, you think sometimes, I mean, you know, just, just in a little room like this, you get can get quite isolated. So it's nice to know there's other people out there that, I say nice to know that they're struggling, but nice to know that they're also str- in the same boat as you because you're struggling and there are other people like you. And actually, that makes up the vast majority, probably 99% of music art, uh, artists out there, uh, which is sadly the case. But and particularly at the moment, because nobody can play live, or uh, and so you know all they can do is is do this sort of thing, or, or, or you know or get depressed or whatever. But you know this 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 at least connects people together that that gives them hope. And Paul his Paul in Germany he's been saying. Um, uh, you know, oh, thanks, man. It's, it's helped me to sort of keep going and, and rejuvenated my sort of passion for for the project. So, so that's done its. I've, you know, that's done its job. I've, I've, you know, helped him there and will continue to help him. And I think that's a really good thing to do. The problem is, there's a lot of people out there that, um, for whatever reason, um, aren't willing to help or they've had their fingers burnt before in the past by somebody, so they don't want to share their stuff, share their ideas or they get protective over their... I mean, everyone gets a bit... There's an ego involved and people get protective over their music. Right. Um, but but again, you know, I, I think it's nice to share ideas. Um, I think, you yeah, know, it can, can only help someone. You know, it's, it's a good thing to do if you can sort of give someone some constructive criticism or, or suggestions for something uh, if they're asking for it, then they clearly need help and, and, and assistance. And it, and it might be just that little bit of help that you give them that, that that's enough to get that song out there and finished.
0: I totally agree with you and uh, you know it's it's never a bad thing to have a little back and forth with somebody like you know even even if they stop you and they tell you that your song is just like well you know maybe it could use this and so don't take it to heart you know just take the criticism for what it is listen to it again if you can improve on it then hey then that's that's your choice but if you're gonna have that the, the ego there well nope my song is fine the way that it is everyone's gonna love it then you release it and you get one listener. Well, don't be surprised, you know. <laughs> no, that's right. Don't so somebody, somebody yeah. tried to give you some advice at least, right?
1: Well, I, I think the, the thing it, it does highlight as well by chatting like this is is that particularly with getting your music out there, and thank goodness for people like you, because uh, you know, with, without you, I'd be thinking, well, how do I do it? I, I can contact a local uh, Kent, so my local county radio station and there's kent tv um so that gives me a little bit of scope i can leaflet locally here um i can put things i mean i don't know what i'm doing on instagram i've set up an account and i mm-hmm. do not know what to do next so i'm hopefully going to be chatting to people in the next few days just to sort of give me some pointers and tips because i, I i'm sort of floundering around completely at the moment and uh, but it's also getting the time as well that that's another that's easily my biggest and probably most people's biggest enemy is the time yeah uh, because if you got to do social media and if, if you're going to get somewhere at it and you've got to be dedicating your time once a day for i don't know an hour or two i don't know but um but you do need to dedicate a lot of time to it so how do you do that without any support Yeah, you know, if you're doing if you're totally you know I'm, I'm writing my songs recording my songs producing my songs mastering my songs distributed my songs through 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 District Kid, uh, and then trying to sort of somehow promote them. You think, well, you meant to, do- so you're basically a, an individual, one man record company. That,
0: that's that's all. That's all that without, it is, really. Yeah,
1: without the money. Yeah, so think, exactly. How, yeah. How do I do that?
0: Then? Unfortunately, right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and the thing, and the thing is, is uh, you know, on the um, on the radio station's uh, perspective of things, I think, I think that this kind of series, the interview series, will also help because I want people to know that I, I truly am about the artist and I am about the music. Um, you know, I do have to stay alive because, because when you're talking about social media and everything, like you, you understand that I'm on this about 12 hours a day. Yeah. you know from editing from editing the websites to doing the shows to actually being on social media to the to the, to the producing and everything like that you know it's kind of like what you were talking about you know you do everything plus you're holding out, uh, holding down a day job also so finding time to actually like squeeze everything in it's just you know there there really are not enough hours in the day well, like
1: I think to possibly to wrap it up I, I would say something you'd mentioned before actually was the expectations i think this is a really important thing for all music artists across the world to do <clears throat> because you get lots of people that are going on britain's got talent in this country or x factor or X Factor, or x factor usa and you know their families and friends uh, you know with, with with the best intentions of telling them you're amazing you should go for this when that they, when they're not necessarily amazing and they shouldn't go for it um and they come down with a big crash i think but more importantly, for music artists, you know, setting your expectation levels. I mean, I, I know at my age, I'm approaching 50 in a year's time, a year and a bit. Um, I'm a bald, middle-aged, beardy guy. Um, you know, who's going to, you know, what record company in their right minds is going to promote me? None. So that's the first realistic hurdle I've got to sort of just just deal with. Then, okay, so it's down to me and, and whatever I can do to network and what have you. Um, or if I get lucky with a song or something, you know, or <laughs> you just, there's a chance, a slim chance. With all the competition out there, there's a slim chance, particularly with the Christmas market, that the song would be picked up or used in an advert and repeated or what have you. So there's always that slim chance. Uh, but realistically, I've got to set the bar at a level to think, so at the worst case scenario and I'm quite philosoph- philosophical anyway about life, and I, I'm quite a measured and balanced person, so I think, well, if I get my music out there, I've left a tiny, tiny, weeny, microscopic mark in the world. Somebody may hear a track somewhere. It may be a positive track that they need to hear at the right time, like Keep On Keeping On, and it might be the one thing that, that that brightens up their day or changes their life, and I've got to have my hand on my heart and think, yeah, just that hold that hope out to think someone's going to hear that somewhere. Someone's going to hopefully like it. and It's going to connect with them and it might make their life a tiny percent better or, or just might make them happy for those minutes that they hear it. And then the song has done its job really um, or partially. The bit that it hasn't done is made loads of money, stuck loads of money. But I'm not <laughs> interested in money per se, but I would like to make life comfortable, as we all would. Yeah. Uh, and and be doing this full time so I can knock out two or three albums a year. I mean, I, I, I would because I've got such a backlog of stuff and themes and bits and unfinished things and started songs. And, you know, so there's so much to do, but so little time to do it. So I think really setting the bar at the right level is, is a sensible thing and setting your expectations as to what you can potentially achieve and how much income you could potentially bring in. You know, it, if you get lucky, great. It's like winning the lottery. But that's for the 1% of artists that make it. The other 99%, you know, if you're going to be one of those and you want to scrape a little bit of a living out of it, then then you're going to have to have a good plan and and just know that you can either do it by live or a combination of this, this and this. And, and you know, just... just um, plan your expectation levels accordingly i think
0: i think just to touch on that point i think that um that you know that that you're right setting setting the bar at a at a at a reasonable point is what you really want to aim for right like so i don't i, th- I think that this is the downfall of of many people is that they want the millions right away you know, and maybe just because when they release their their album or whatever, it doesn't it doesn't do as well as they had hoped. They're not making the millions. I think maybe it makes them want to forget about the game and and get out of music or whatever. When maybe they should stay in. You know, but it's just having that realistic expectation. Like, let's just say hmm, you know what? Maybe I just want to make 500 bucks a week off this so I can quit my day job and I could focus on music full time and that could be, you know, when you're doing it as a passion, then obviously it's going to come out in the music. When you're just looking for money, that's also going to come come out in music as well and just, yeah. once again, just having that realistic expectation of where you want to be, what you want to achieve is, hey, that's, that's a great starting point.
1: Well, the worst case scenario for me, I've got to say, is going to be, I'm doing what I love doing. I'm enjoying. Yeah, it's a hobby, and <clears throat> I'd love to do it full time. Realistically, probably not going to happen. But so the furlough was a golden opportunity that I had to embrace. There was no other way but, you know, embracing that because it was only going to come along once in a lifetime. I say once, but then I was on furlough a second time. So, uh, so maybe there'll be a third furlough. Who knows? But um, but, but I'm doing something I enjoy doing that might touch someone else's heart that's nice and i've managed to leave a mark if i drop dead tomorrow i do know that i've you know left some songs behind absolutely and my tiny little mark of a bit of who i was and uh, or who i am you know so and i think I just just keep on keeping on keep doing it keep, you know, keep keep doing what you like doing get better at it keep practicing i'll just keep positive because you know it's worth having dreams and things and it's certainly worth having a a plan um, but, but again, yeah, you know, just just be happy to be doing it, and that you. I mean, the wonderful thing is, it the, one, the most wonderful thing about a song, there was nothing, and then suddenly, you've created this song. There's something. Yep. So something has come out of nothing. This, but but is it out of nothing, or is it just in all of us? Is it in humanity generally? The music's always been there. We probably started singing, you know, millions of years ago before. We started talking and grunting and and making audible noises that were like speech. So I think music's such a deep, guttural thing that we have inside us um, that that, that's why things can be created from nothing. And I, I, you know, I just just these these songs that come to people like Paul McCartney with Yesterday, you know, it's the most recorded song ever I mean about 30 years ago there were about 10,000 recorded versions so probably it's up to about 12-13,000 now who knows but uh, that's phenomenal and he when he was first playing it and he entitled it scrambled eggs as a working title um, and he said it came to him in his dream he just woke <laughs> up and it was there and he thought he was so convinced that it was someone else's song because it was such a strong tune, I felt so familiar. But I think this is the thing; it probably was always there. It's probably always been in humanity somewhere, and he's just the, got the—he was the one who was given it.
0: All right, this is DJX Tech, Tampa Bay's Pulse Radio. Carlos Fandango in the UK. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank all you. Right. No problem at all and you could look for Carlos's music on the links in the description or head over to PulseRadioTampaBay.com. bay.com. We'll see you there and Carlos, we'll see we'll be talking with you soon as well. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks, bye.